We are in Jude. Is anybody surprised that we're still in Jude? Um, as you can see, we'll be receiving communion here uh, today as well. The question for this morning, though, is, is why contend? You remember what the word means, right? Uh, it's a word that literally means for striving, uh, represented by competitors striving in games, wrestling, fighting, taking great pains and strains toward their end. We get the word agonize from it in English. So to understand it rightly, we kind of have to recognize that it's, it, it's not just about a competitor competing. It's the strain and the striving and all of those things, giving it everything you've got, leaving nothing at the end of the day. That's what it means to contend. And Jude is using it for not something that's temporary, not agonizing over a trophy, but something that is eternal, the faith. So why, why so serious? Why, why not just live and let live? Why not just keep your head down, keep going, don't make any waves? Hakuna Matata, right? For all of you fans of no worries. Or um, for others, every little thing's going to be all right, right? I mean, what, what was Jude seeing? What, what did he know? What was the Spirit of God impressing on him to talk this way, to write these things? I want you to imagine for a minute a, a gathering of people. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes, but th this gathering of people is those who have been born again of the Spirit of God. Those who will spend eternity together with Jesus. Those who love God, and as a result, they love each other. Now, I want you to picture this gathering as it was in the Scripture. Encouraging each other when they come together. Praying for each other. Singing songs together. Learning together. Mutually instructing and, and learning from one another. Caring for one another. Sharing with those in needs. Finding accountability. Even confrontation of sin. And all of that... As you're thinking these things, think of it in the context of eating a meal together. That'd be one long meal, right? I mean, it would be one long meal, and, and it would be finished off with communion at the table of the Lord Jesus. It's a, it's a beautiful picture when we stop and, and think about it in that way. And this is what Jude knew the church to be. This is, this is what Jude knew the body of Christ to be. This is what he knew salvation and the transformation that comes with it produces. This is, this is what he knew the gospel could do everywhere it was proclaimed. But as beautiful as the picture is that's resting in your mind, we go back to Jude and we, we find Jude with that picture in his mind but with something wrong with that picture. Verse 12 says this, These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts, when they feast with you without fear. That phrase, love feast, is, is kind of the picture that I just described to you as to what took place after Acts 2 pretty regularly in the first century church. 
Now, we could bring it into the modern church, and, and maybe if you brought it in and you thought about it for a minute, you would think, well, it's, it, it's, it's kind of like a church potluck dinner, right? Or, or maybe it's like a church picnic. But really, if you think of all the things we just said, those two things would miss the mark because we have segregated all the things that we do in the church into to little sections, into separate events for modern day. So if we were going to get even close to what it looked like then, we would have to add some things to our potluck dinner. We would have to add some things to our church picnic, like a prayer service and worship and song, and maybe even a sermon or some type of biblical teaching or some small group discussions that might be going on around the scripture, an opportunity to serve each other, maybe even a deacon meeting focused on meeting the needs of the people that are there, and maybe even an elder meeting focused on the spiritual oversight of the group of people that's there. And maybe even a few more things to try to get in all of those things that would have been part of this, including finishing together at the Lord's table. So, so you can see where it might be a little hard for us to imagine Acts 2.42 in 2023, right? But it was in that environment filled with love, filled with food, filled with Jesus, that Jude saw these people... He's been talking about creeping in and devastating the community of faith. Because what they brought by by way of their influence, what they introduced from the core of who they were, what they desired to turn the community into was a place where ungodliness would produce worship, but it produced worship of everything but God. A, A place where grace led to freedom to go right back into the bondage of sin. A place where Jesus could never be Savior because He was not going to be Master. He was not going to be Lord. And it would happen as they would be, according to Jude, hidden reefs. And the illustration was of a rock by or in the sea. That's what the words mean. And it was unseen or maybe not unseen, but maybe unmarked by those who had sailed that way before. Possibly those things which were even only seen at certain tides. If you, if you know the, how the tides work and they go in and go out, or, or even how it works in a, in a river. We saw that with the Mississippi just in the last few months. Man, it was so depleted and down, you could see stuff that hadn't been seen for years. Rivers and lakes can lose their volume Dry times, exposing things that are otherwise hidden. The danger was that things like this were lurking just below the surface of the water that could tear a boat open, wrecking it, leaving it stranded, unable to continue whatever journey it was on. And the result in the community of, community of faith with these hidden reefs was the destruction of loving relationships. These people had then and have now no reverence for what Jesus did to create that environment among fallen people. These people had then and have now placed themselves in the community of faith in such a way as to do the most damage to the unsuspecting. They have no fear of the consequences of their actions in treating with contempt the body of Christ. 
Because they function only, according to Jude, caring for themselves. Now, the NIV translates this as shepherds who feed only themselves. The ESV translates it shepherds feeding themselves, which really gives you a little better sense of the, what's being illustrated here. But the illustration was first of, of a shepherd in these love feasts, right? Everybody doing all of these things that we've just described, a beautiful environment and all that, and, and bringing to light the, the level of influence that they had. But, but second was the light of the communion element of these feasts. And, and for these people, there was no reverence for the, the Lord's Supper. They, they treated it like any other meal. And the danger was the same as the warning that Jesus gave concerning false shepherds in John 10. He who's a hired hand, not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he's not concerned for the sheep. Jude says they're simply concerned for themselves. And the result in the community of faith was the abandonment of protection and provision and and the perversion of what was expected of true loving leadership. So these people would come in and and they would only care for themselves. What were the people expecting from leaders within the Lord's church? They were expecting sacrifice. They were expecting selflessness. But those things were abandoned. And as a result, the protection and provision that should have been there was not. These people had no concern for the integrity of Christ-like leadership. They, they had no concern for the welfare of Christ's flock. They had no uh, desire for anything other than self-preservation. That was at their core. They would never give their lives for the sheep. Jude goes on and says, They are clouds without water carried along by winds. The illustration was the reality of expectation, Right? In, in most weather patterns, and I, it was kind of funny because this last week, I had the grandkids kind of all by myself, which is a little bit different than Dina and I having them together. Um, but uh, it was raining outside, and, and my grandson said, look, Papa, rain clouds up ahead. And I'm thinking, where does a three-year-old talk like that? But he did, because he saw these clouds, and, and his expectation was that these clouds, he had seen them before, and, and they produced rain. And that's the, the pattern of weather normally. The clouds form, and there's an expectation that there is going to be rain, at least, like meteorologists say, in some part of the viewing area, right? There's, there's going to be rain. Um, but, but this reference to clouds like this was not a new thing. In fact, Solomon talks about it in Proverbs 25 saying, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts in his gifts falsely. So this, this was not a new illustration, but the danger was the promise of that which never happened. And, and this is especially true in parched spiritual environments. Imagine that you are going through a difficult week and, and, and you, you've kind of dried out and, 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 and maybe it's those times where you feel like the prayers are bouncing off the ceilings or, or whatever, right? It's just, and you come and, and you see the rain cloud in the, the leader. But there's no refreshing that's going to take place. The stuff that was counted on never develops. 
anything. Not refreshing or life-giving. And the result in the community of faith is discouragement in the times where refreshing and encouragement are needed the most. These people, um, the, the, the ability to look like there's something life-giving is, is who they are. But in reality, they've got nothing to offer to anyone who is, that, is, that is truly life-giving. They themselves are now described by Jude as autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. The illustration is the, the time of harvest, right? When the, when the farmer expects that, or, or the orchard grower expects that all of the, the labor, all of the things that have gone into this, all of the hard work done in the spring, all of the hard work done in the summer is now going to pay off in something. And imagine him walking out into the orchard and seeing not only no fruit, but all the trees dead. What would it mean? It would mean a really hard winter coming. It would mean even a harder spring. Digging out all of the trees. Getting rid of all of those things. And then having to replant something that would be healthy. The danger was not to see them clearly for who they are in their own lives. And to count on them for spiritual productivity that would produce spiritual fruit in them and others. Because the lack of spiritual fruit comes from the lack of spiritual roots that are cultivated, right? Removing the weeds and all of those things that that vie for uh, nutrients. And that's kind of part of the sanctification process. Or, Or the fertilizing, giving nutrition, which would come from the Word of God, right? Uh, Watered, that refreshing of the daily presence of the Spirit of God, just wasn't there. The interesting thing is these things can be faked to some degree, right? But only for a season. They eventually show themselves for who they are. And the result in the community of faith is really the the disappointment of, of what was expected, but also now the hardship that is going to be known as a result of no fruit being born and the tree being dead When that moment of lifelessness is revealed in these people who have been there and influenced. Maybe it's when tragedy strikes them. Maybe it's when something difficult comes. And rather than standing firm in who Jesus is, in what God has done and what he will do, they go a different route. These people have no ability to ever produce life-changing fruit in themselves. They they have no desire to produce life-changing fruit. And, And they bring death wherever they're allowed to be. They're next called wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, The illustration is really a pretty intense one. 
in that the picture is of these wild waves just crashing against each other and all that. These raging waves, meaning unsettled and unstable and really unpredictable. If you've never spent much time around the ocean, if you've never spent much time in the ocean, then this could be a little bit difficult because you, you think of all the power that's involved in those waves and all that thing, all those things. And one author said it this way, they, they are not this way because of their power, but it's because of their pride and arrogant speech. Jude later describes the way they talk as arrogant. And the word there, literally, I think it's in verse 16, literally means oversized or swollen or boastful. That's who these people are. So, so like these waves, these people make a lot of noise. They say a lot of things. But what they actually say, according to Jude, is shameful. So, so what did Jude have in mind here? I, we, we don't have a... A, a finger on it or things that we can check off. But, but from what we know, for Jude, maybe it's their heretical statements. The things that they say that are just outright crazy in terms of biblical truth. Or, or how about their outright lies? Or, or maybe their encouragement of immoral behavior or their ridicule of all things good or their defiance. That's who they are. I'm not sure exactly what he had in mind, but Nothing of it that they say is good. And the danger was what all this stirred up like wild, raging waves do. Have you ever been in a storm and been near the ocean? Anybody? You've been in a storm near the ocean? Or maybe you've seen, you know, the guy from the Weather Channel going like this, you know, being pushed back or whatever, and then they show you later what's up on the beach. What is brought in by those wild, raging waves? It's debris everywhere, right? I've been living, well, look at the positive, right? The seashells, okay. But primarily, the junk comes up from the sea, the, the muck, the mire, all the, and it's deposited on the shore. Have you ever seen it in the ocean? You guys know that I, I Dina and I like to get on a boat if we can. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed out in the middle of the ocean where you can't even see land at all is there's waves like this. And on these waves, there's foam that comes up on these waves. And when you look in the dip of the wave, after the foam has settled in the middle of whatever it is, you see the collection or the gathering of things that have been floating on the ocean. And it's actually pretty yucky. I wouldn't jump off the boat to get into that. I mean, the ocean is beautiful, but when you get a little closer and you see this foam stuff, all the the stuff that's there, the result in the community of faith from these people being this way was toxic communication. They talk about things worthless. They talk about things discarded. They talk about things purposeless. They talk about things that are just downright deadly to faith. These people had then and and the people that are like them now, they have no words that build up, no words that strengthen truly. They, They only have empty talking points, shamed, filled words. 
Isaiah says it like this, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up refuse and mud. Now, I will not say the modern word for refuse, um, but that's exactly what it's talking about in Isaiah. Nothing they say is of any value. Lastly, they're called wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Let me read that one more time. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. The illustration was directed toward the nighttime sky. Jude was giving people the opportunity to kind of look up, look around at the movements of the heavenly bodies, the the stars, the planets, the comets, the shooting stars. And those scholars will will try to pin down what Jude was referring to. The reality of these stars was that they were in some way different, observably different. The word for wandering comes from the root word meaning to lead astray, to wander about. And eventually it becomes our word for planet because these wanderers were different from the other fixed stars as the planets are. But whether Jude's referring to stars or planets or comets or shooting stars, the danger was trying to be guided by something that had no fixed course. And, and even if they, they were the most brilliant star and they were moving around and capturing attention, or maybe they were a shooting star, or maybe they were a comet going across, their end was striking to their beginning. Right? You see it and you're like, wow, look at that. And you watch a shooting, you ever watch a shooting star? The first five seconds of it or so is really amazing. You're like, whoa, look at it. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And you're like, whoa, whoa, bring it back. Can I hit replay? I want to see that again. It was so beautiful. Their end was a striking difference from their beginning because their end was black darkness. Now, even if you don't know the definition of Greek words, right? When you hear black darkness, you can say black and everybody understands what that means. You can also say darkness and everybody understands what that means. But when you put black darkness together, uh, it, it basically means in the language, utter darkness of darkness for eternity. The picture is scary. It's also permanent. And that was their end. That was their end. The result in the community of faith was the emptiness of following what can look so incredible, can look so bright, can look so worth your gaze, only to find out that it's leading to a dark, scary, permanent end. Now, if you remember where we began today, I ask you to imagine being in the midst of one of those love feasts. You remember that? Let's go, let's go back to things happy. Being in a gathering of those who are born again of the Spirit of God, who will spend eternity together with Jesus, who love God and as a result love each other. They, they spend time encouraging each other and praying with each other and singing songs together and learning together and instructing and being instructed and caring for one another and sharing with those in need and having accountability and confronting sin to be restored to God and, and having meals together and, and, and ultimately ending in communion. A beautiful thing. 
But today we've looked at those who would like to exert their influence on that community. They want to destroy loving relationships. They want to pervert the confidence found in true loving leadership by exemplifying their selfishness. They want to discourage rather than bring refreshing and encouragement. They, they, they want to bring hardship and disappointment. They want to stir up with their words all things toxic, worthless, purposeless, and deadly. And they want to lead astray into emptiness and darkness forever. At the beginning, I ask you, why should we contend for the faith? Before service, I was talking with one of our guys, and we were talking about how this is a place of safety, right? And it's meant to be. It's meant to be where you can come and worship and, and be before the Lord in, in honesty and transparency, and it, it'd be okay to do that. I, I can't say for everybody why we must contend for the faith, but I believe I contend for the faith so that the faith community that I'm a part of is not compromised or destroyed by those who would try to do so. It's just that simple. I'm going to ask the guys to come, and we're going to receive communion together. And as we receive communion together, we do so in a safe place. We do so in a protected community, not just because we've got guys outside the door that are watching as people come in, right? Not because we've got safety protocols and, and all of those things in place to make this a, a safe environment. But as we receive communion together, we do so in an environment, in, in a culture that's healthy and protected. But even as we do so, thanks Tim, even as we do so, there, there are churches that aren't this way. And again, I'm, I'm not holding us up as the bastion of perfection, because that's just not true. But there are churches who, as they are getting together, having their meals and doing the things they do, they have been infiltrated by these influencers. As, as they take the juice and as they take the bread from the person that's passing it out, or they come to the front to get it, or whatever it is, these churches, these expressions of the body of Christ are in danger. And so this is what I would like to do today. I would like for us, as we receive communion, Ross is going to come and just give us some background music here as we, as we do, but as you are holding this communion and everything that it means, everything that it reminds us of, everything it points back to in the church of the first century and the churches that have gone throughout the years, and you think of how healthy and wonderful that expression of Jesus should be everywhere, will you just take a minute to bring before the Lord the fact that every church isn't that way. And maybe you know some. Maybe you've got friends that are, that are in some places that are unhealthy. Maybe you've, you've looked and seen where denominations are doing things. And, and, and you know, even, even as it was expressed this morning, there, you know, there's, there's things going on, right? 
Can we take a minute just to pray for the body of Christ? The body of Christ that is under constant bombardment from an enemy. Now look, we don't do this. We don't, we don't do this in fear, right? We don't do this scared of, of the devil and all of that. We, we don't do it. But we recognize the reality. And so we're praying for fellow believers, praying for fellow churches, praying for people that these influencers have crept in unnoticed for whatever the reason. And they're doing damage right now. Can we pray for wisdom for these believers? Can we pray for leadership that will wise up and and cease their apathy? Can we pray that God by His Spirit would walk with these people daily like we were reminded by Caleb? That there is one greater in them than what is in the world. So can you just take a minute and then when you're done, we'll conclude with our communion together. Let's just take a minute and be before the Lord. As we, um, as we hold these elements, these symbols in our hand, we recognize that it's a, a special privilege that is given to believers. Not, not privilege as if we're better than someone else, but boy, what an honor it is to be called a child of God. It humbles us, Lord, to think in that way. As we hold these things, we, we're in a community of faith, an expression of, of Jesus. And Lord, there's a certain level of safety here. There's a certain level of security here. But there's also a level of vigilance that we have to have. Lord, we've got friends. I'm thinking of one close friend of mine that is in a church that has had influencers that have come in and and they have done such great damage to him and to his family, Lord. They have shipwrecked the faith of some, leaving people tossed, turned upside down. I know that in this group of believers here today, Lord, we we know people that are struggling. But Lord, would you help us as we continue to contend for the faith that we would see clearly, Lord? Would Would you open the eyes of leaders who have welcomed in things, Lord, that are devastating 
you not let there be apathy, Lord, within your church? Would you not let us be so open-minded that our brains fall out? Would you help us not to chase shiny things? Would you help us to remember why we received this communion in the first place? Because you built a community of faith around you, Jesus. keep our focus there and will you help us Lord when we encounter these things that look and sound like what Jude is talking about Lord that we would be willing even as Jude said to have mercy on some and to rescue others Lord because we love you we love what you have done in your church thank you Lord for giving your body to be broken giving your blood to be shed, Lord, so that we can be reconciled to the Father. Let's take the bread together. And the juice. Let's stand together as Ross leads us in the chorus up there playing.